Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. New VanCast to take you into the weekend as the Vancouver Canucks have a day off as we record this, sort of the end of the first week of this summer COVID training camp as they prepare for their return to play against Minnesota early in August. Jay Patton Drancer with you. It is the VanCast. Uh, Drancer, a ton of hockey talk, obviously. Uh, we have been at the rink every day this week. We have watched these training sessions. Uh, we spent Thursday night uh, in the stands watching a scrimmage in an empty building, which was a sort of bizarre uh, experience, but one that I guess we all better get used to. But before we, yep. look, just before we get into the hockey talk, like I, I, I'm on pins and needles as I record this because I'm just worried that I might cross you at some point <laughs> on this podcast, and I fear my fate because, like, I don't know, like, hockey's back, most people are excited, and you've gone the other way. Like, you've become this sort of miserable... Uh, <laughs> Anger-ridden. Yeah, like, I don't know, <laughs> hockey's back, you should be excited about this, and instead, you've just become this prick this week, I don't even recognize you. Yeah, you know, I on, I think it was Monday, like, after the weekend... And I started texting just some contacts trying to get Rathbone updates. And, you know, one one person in the Canucks front office texted me back. Um, I liked you better when you didn't have anger issues. And then another one said, another one said, just trying to figure out if I should call you back um, because otherwise you'll fight me or avoid you because otherwise you'll fight me. And uh, <laughs> so, so, no, it was pretty funny uh, overall. And look, you know, I think. Here's the inside story here is Dmitry Filipovich, you know, of, of the PDO cast yep. and, and, a, and a friend of mine and, you know, former Canucks Army editor, texted me with a bad take. Like, he texted me a bad take he was seeing on Twitter on Tuesday of last week. And he said, Drance, if no one polices these bad takes, like if no one makes the counter argument and shows why they're wrong, then people will believe it. And I was like, dim, like everyone knows that's silly. And he was just like, they don't. And, you know, like no one else is going to do this. You need to step up and make sure that bad takes are, are being debated, are being argued. You need to give fans that know this is nonsense uh, something to grasp onto as they argue these themselves. And I was like, okay. So I think that sort of just like clicked for me. Like, yeah, there are, there are certain takes. Like if you're comparing the, 
you know, track record of the Mike Gillis and Jim Benning eras, like you're, you're out to lunch, right? Like Jim Benning's going to need to earn that comparison in the years to come. He clearly has not to this point, right? Like it's ridiculous. And anyone arguing that otherwise, uh, you know, is wrong and needs to be, it needs to be said that they're wrong. And, and it just clicked for me. So there were a couple of things that I decided that I was going to argue back against. And, you know, one of them is uh, ridiculous comparisons. One of them is, you know, the the cap thing, right? I came for the cap thing. Yeah. And, and you know, and then and then obviously Jay Janauer uh, sort of got stuck in the mix. And, and, look, this was one where I think I was a little bit in the wrong just because, look, I didn't go looking for the original Jay Janauer tweet that caused our argument. It was sent to me by two people who thought that Jay was talking about me. And I was like, yeah, who else would that be? And so I fired back. And I don't think, you know, Jay, Jay to his credit, called me this week Um you know, we had a we had a heart to heart conversation and, you know, I admitted to him, I was like, look, I'd probably jump the gun there, especially if you were not talking about me. And I trust that you weren't like I trust that you would say so, um, you know, that that's on me. Uh, I'm not sorry for the second one, but I'm sorry for the first one. Like, you know, that's that's on me. And, and you know, we've got no quarrel, uh, but I appreciated that he reached out to me. I appreciated that um, we were able to, you know, make make peace, as it were. And I appreciate, J-Pat, that it was you who, in fact, brokered that peace. Uh, <laughs> another detail that I want the audience to know. Uh, but, yeah, no, that that one, that one, I I didn't feel as uh, I think the <laughs> look, the dunk was good. But I think the cause of it, I was I was a little bit in the wrong there. And I just wanted to make sure I own that. All right. Well, in the matter of full or in the matter of full disclosure, then. You know, you had some moments of being able to dunk throughout the week, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you are in no position to dunk as we record this podcast. Uh, I am not. Do you want to tell the do you want to tell the class why you were half an hour late? I have a like power base. I actually have an alarm clock that has a power base on the top of it, and I guess I must have like knocked off my phone before I went to bed, or like something stupid happened. But my phone fell off the power base. My alarm did not go off. We are recording 45 minutes late on, on a day off. And, you know, currently the Canucks are doing these scrimmages, right, where at the end the losing team has to do, like, a fitness punishment. Right. And so I'm going to start my uh, 10 push-ups and my neutral zone climbers <laughs> on the other side of this podcast. I clearly owe it. But, look, I mean, how many episodes are we in now? Two a week for the last 40 weeks, right? Something like that. You know, I- I've never been late. Like, this has never happened to me before. Uh, won't happen to me again. Just, uh, just fucked it up this morning. Well, I want video. I need video evidence then sent to me, <laughs> delivered right. to me uh, of you doing these push-ups and sit-ups and, and climbers and everything I will, else. I will. You're right. And, I will send it off. And you know what? I, I'm gonna have to do the accounting here at some point. But it's funny you mentioned that two a week for 40 weeks or whatever. Like, I don't know what the number is, but we're coming up on a year. Like, we must be approaching our hundredth VanCast. Although. The first, oh, yeah. the first bunch weren't VanCast, so <laughs> there's a, a technicality <laughs> in there. <laughs> but yeah, we must we, we must be approaching our hundredth podcast at the very least. So, uh, reason for a big party and celebration and special episode at some point here uh, coming along. Uh, look, you mentioned it. Uh, I mentioned it right off the top. We were back at the rink. Uh, it was game night. I know it was a scrimmage, but uh, give us that much that it was game night at the very least uh, in Vancouver. And let's jump in, because uh, we've been there all week. We have seen things. We now yeah. have a body of work to sort of dive into. And I know, you know, you went pretty hard uh, in terms of evaluations after the first three days of training camp. But I see Harm has written uh, after the scrimmage. And 
Look, I, I love Harm, and I think it's incredibly amazing that Harm was charting microstats at a I summer know, scrimmage. The best. Like, that is so incredible, and yet at some level cringeworthy, too. But look, the, <laughs> the, the, no, but the VIPs pay for this. They're not going to find it anywhere else, and that's Harm. So, no. uh, But the backstory there was, you know, Harm is doing, he was sitting a couple of rows behind me. We're all spaced out. Well, a lot of us are spaced out, but we are distanced at the rink um, effectively. And, and we touched on that in the last podcast that the PR staff's done a pretty nice job of, of facilitating all this this week. But Harm was, I think, a couple rows behind me, and then you were in his row, but over to his right. And I was just loving, like, you were his spotter because he was watching. <laughs> he was watching this scrimmage and trying to keep track and make notes. And every so often, I would hear sort of through the muffled mask. Uh, you know, you were barking essentially at him from down the row to make sure that he got this or got that. So uh, he wrote the recap of the scrimmage, but truth be told, it was a two-man effort. Well, you know, I think me and Harmon have just gotten so used to to watching games together and like pointing things out to one another. And, you know, we do it during scrimmages too. Like even if we're not close together, Harmon will like like catch my eye or text me. And, uh, and usually we do it that way. But because he was on his laptop, I didn't want to be texting him and distracting him. But there's certain things that I just wanted to make sure that he, he, uh, he noted. I was just, I wanted to be like, hey, look, see that? Like, or see that? And, you know, I think there's actually, this is a really unique environment for player evaluation, especially for younger guys. Because this is not a training camp where the younger guys are going to get cut here pretty quickly. Or where their main competitive environment in which they'll be evaluated is against other teams that are also playing their young guys. Like this is a closed group of ruthless, like absolutely ruthless NHL regular players who are gearing up in, in, in a highly competitive environment to play in the playoffs, like play really meaningful games. And they've sacrificed to be away from their families to be here. And like, this is real. This is serious. It's like, I feel like if you're Ole Olevi or Brogan Rafferty or, you know, an Ashton Sautner, it's like, you know, the, the guys are coming at you and they're like, you're not stuck in, um, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. <laughs> like these guys are just going at them. Like there's this Ole Olevi play where Tyler Toffoli just like, you know, sizes Ole Olevi up, and he's like, you can't make that play. And he chases him. He chases him right up to the point, like way more aggressively than you'll ever see a winger do if the puck carrier was Alex Edler or Chris Tanev. And then when Olevi makes the play, Toffoli, out of frustration, like gives him a hit, like goes out of the way and gives him a hit. He's just like, you know, or, or guys just, they think they can walk Brogan Rafferty. They're going at Brogan Rafferty. Uh, I think this is a tremendous opportunity for those young guys. Like it looks cruel almost from the 300 levels as I watch it but you know I mentioned I mentioned this sense that I got to Farhan and Farhan's like what a tremendous opportunity this extended camp is going to be for those guys um and I think he's dead on like I think NHL players they probe other opponents rosters they find weak spots and they just exploit them ruthlessly we're seeing that in every scrimmage like I don't want to get too worked up about evaluations to some extent but on the other like on the other hand like you can tell with how guys act what they think of one another in an environment this competitive and NHL players are so smart about this stuff it's fascinating to watch it unfold um you know and it has been throughout the week 
And like I, I'm with you that you know I don't like to go too far down the road of evaluation of a summer camp when guys have been off for whatever it is a hundred days. At the same time, you and I have access that our listeners don't, right? Like this is truly yes. where we were insiders. We were inside the building last night. Like you know, I'll, I'll give a few thoughts and then I'll ask you kind of you know what you took from it. And I know Harm has written his takeaways, and and as I mentioned, you sort of you know, had a role in that piece that's got Harm's name on it. But, you know, for me, uh, I thought Zach McEwen, and, and not just the goal, uh, but he drew the only penalty and they had penalty shots. He didn't score on the penalty shot. But, you know, we heard Jim Benning at the trade deadline, call him an NHLer, and you think of his play from the trade deadline to the halt of play, uh, and he looked every bit the part of an NHLer. And I oh, think he's definitely. And you think he's looked good, and I thought last night, you know, when he gets those opportunities, and we don't know what the bottom six is going to look like, and nobody knows what, you know, Brandon Sutter's status is now after missing two days, and Michael Furland is a question mark. You know, there could be an opportunity for a guy like McEwen, and we certainly know that he's got the size, and we've talked on other podcasts about a guy like Marcus Felino, and you know that he's going to use his side it's on the other side. So if the Canucks felt that they needed a counter, you know, they've got this player in Zach McEwen. I think he's had a, a decent week, and I thought he had a, a pretty strong scrimmage. You know, I'm encouraged again. There's been a lot of talk about Brock Besser, and I've seen people say, like, oh, he's motivated by all that trade talk. Um, maybe. You know what? He, he's just yeah, he's just maybe. he's just a really good hockey player. Like he should stand he's out, right? Really like, good. He's one of the best yeah. Canuck players, so it would stand a reason that he's going to be one of the best players as they have this camp. But I was encouraged. You know, he got that shot off a couple of times last night. I still want to see him score. You know, I don't want to go through this play-in series against Minnesota talking about all of his shots and his chances. He's got to pull the trigger. But uh, you know. I think there's been an intensity level to Brock Besser uh, through this camp, whatever his motivations are. That's a good sign because he stands out and, and stands out for the right reason. So, you know, it really, it wasn't a night for the stars. Like, yeah, I know Horvat and Pedersen both scored late goals, but they were sort of insignificant in the big picture. The goals were uh, on a night when, you know, McEwen scores and Jalen Chatfield scores and Chris Tanev walks Jake for 10 and, and scores. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily, yeah. the, it wasn't the guys you'd think of when you go to the rink that are going to stand out in the goal scoring department, but that's fine. It was a, you know, eight forwards on each side made it a little goofy that way that, uh, you know, yes, there were lines, but they didn't stick that way because everybody had to get an opportunity. And I think finally for me, and, and again, this stands to reason too, you know, it hasn't been a great week for Jacob Markstrom. There are no alarm bells. He's lost all three of the scrimmages that he's been in. I thought there were some stoppable goals last night that, uh, you know, he wants to stop. He thinks he can stop everything. Five got past him. Yeah. I, I just think this has been a week for Markstrom about knocking the rust off. But the flip side is that Thatcher Demko, I thought, looked sharp. He faced the Pedersen-Miller to, Fo to Foley line. So he saw the, you know, the Canucks top line coming down on him and... Gave up the two late goals. There really wasn't a whole lot that he could do. Uh, I think Thatcher Demko's had a, a pretty solid first week of this camp. Yeah, Thatcher Demko's played really well. Jacob Markstrom got frustrated last night, right? Like, you could tell after the Jay Beagle breakaway goal, he was, you know, he, he hit his stick against his own net. Um, and, you know, the Chatfield goal was a, what, like a 45-footer unscreened snapshot from a guy who doesn't typically score goals. Uh, you know, I yep. think he was frustrated by that, too. And... You know, the thing about Markstrom, though, is Markstrom's going to be fine. Right. Markstrom's going to be furious all day today, I bet. <laughs> but Markstrom's also going to be who Markstrom is. And who Markstrom is is a very, very good NHL starting caliber goaltender who the Canucks are going to use in game one. Like, there's no, you know, I, I wonder if 
he has another like game or two. I, I hope that the noise doesn't even turn up in this market because it shouldn't. Like this is Jacob Markstrom. He's this team starter. He's the guy who's going to be in net and he's going to play well. And you know, there's really no cause for concern, even though right. And and you know, you're I, right. I just want to be, was... but I want to be clear. Like I'm not suggesting that Thatcher Demko is you know, has taken no. the lead in any kind of battle here. I'm just saying Demko's had a nice week. He has, and that's good. They may need him at some point. Who knows? But I just think this week for me was more about Markstrom shaking off some rust. He'll get there, but it hasn't. it's not there yet for him after being off for four and a half months. No, and I actually like how you how you broke that down because Markstrom having a tough game was one of the big takeaways from Thursday night, like period, right? And I thought, I thought, the other one was Jake Vertanen having a really rough night. And, you know, the same thing that I'm talking about where teams and these veteran guys, you know, these ruthless hockey professionals probe rosters and find the weak points and then exploit them. Uh, you know, I thought guys basically did that with Jake. Like, I thought Tanev, like, Tanev doesn't try that no. against JT Miller. No. He you're doesn't. Right. You're like, right. He just doesn't. And so, you know, it's not about how Vertanen looked. It's also in part about what his teammates think of his defensive game. And what they tried against him suggests that they don't think a ton of, of of it. Like, his teammates do not think a ton of it. And, you know, in addition to losing the puck on a breakaway, uh, being on the ice for three goals and primarily responsible for them. You know, McEwen, you talked about having a good game. He also hit Jaden Chat, Chatfield for uh, a backhand shot that hit the crossbar. Uh, that was an excellent McEwen assist, but he just sent the puck into empty space vacated by bad defensive coverage from Jake. And, you know, after Jake lost the puck on the breakaway, right, he threw a hit. I don't know who the hit was at. And Bo Horvat called him out. And because we can hear everything from the 300 level, right, yeah. it was just because you fucked up doesn't mean you get to run the fuck around. <laughs> and he, you know, chewed him out in a stoppage of play. And it was like no one responded. It was like awkward, right? It was like, oh. Good. Um, and, you know, that that was the night Vertanen had. Like, Vertanen, Vertanen having a tough night, McEwen having a great night. Like, that's something that Vertanen can't afford to have too many of here as we go into week two, especially because, you know, the Canucks don't have a ton of bottom six wingers to play with here. If they're going to have Mott and Louie kill penalties Roussel practiced with the PK in the morning on Thursday that suggests that he's another guy they're going to need for PK reasons and Jay Beagle you know that leaves one bottom six wing spot that's open with Furland coming back to join group the main group at some point and McEwen being the other hopeful like there is competition here and I do think that last night's performance matters in terms of you know maybe narrowing the lead that Jake Vertanen has for that spot and, and probably should have based on his speed and offensive abilities. But like, I don't think it's a fait accompli. And I wrote that on Thursday, uh, Thursday night, I saw even more reason to doubt, uh, you know, whether or not Jake Vertanen sewed up a, a spot in the Canucks game one lineup. I think he's going to need to leave no doubt. And, and look, I think he should feel some pressure to do so. Right. And, and for those people, and I can hear them in my head that are like, Oh, I'm so sick of you guys harping on Jake's defensive responsibilities. The video exists. Like, go check it out. I think Harm has it embedded in the story, the Tanev goal. But I know the Canucks have it on their social channel. Like, it is... Uh, there's no defense for his defense on that play. And as you said, Tanev's not trying that on many guys. But he just flat out, I mean, he fakes a shot. Jake gets totally sucked in 
And Tanner just walks right around him and then uh, rips one past Markstrom. So, you know, the evidence is there. Go see for yourself if you think that that is big league defense. Maybe you can get away with it in a scrimmage two weeks before playing games. But two weeks from now, there's just there's nowhere. There's nowhere uh, to hide if, if, if that kind of thing shows up uh, in the Canucks game. But, but again, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, you guys are harping on Jake. And it's like, no, his teammates are doing this to him every time out. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, this is not about what I think. This is about the, the what they do. Like, this, they are testing all the young guys to see what, you know what I mean? Like, of the D, for example, the young D auditioning for that eighth defensive sp- spot, like, from the way the players play them, they think that Brisebois and, and Chatfield are the best defensively. Like, you can tell just from how they attack them, you know? And from the way that they attack Jake, they think they can walk around him. Like Chris Tanev's like, Oh, you're, you can't stop this. You know, like that's, that's an issue. Like if the players feel that way and they, and whatever they say they do based on their behavior in a competitive environment. Um, you know, I don't know how you can ignore that. You know, the noise in this market, uh, you've been here all season and we know the kind of season mm-hmm. that Brogan Rafferty had in Utica. And there were a lot of people like howling to get this guy up, into the Canucks lineup at some point. And obviously that didn't happen. And the Canucks, you know, elected to keep him as a first-year pro in Utica, playing, playing a lot, all situations. He had an amazing AHL rookie season. He did. But the only two games on his NHL resume are those last two games of the previous season. We haven't seen him in the NHL. I wondered kind of where he fit on the pecking order coming into a camp like this one. And, you know, I had buddies of mine asking, like, do you think there's any chance that this guy actually plays here in this summer in the play-in or the playoffs? And, you know, injuries happen, so I guess uh, it's not completely out of the question that, you know, he could play at some point, but he's been given zero preferential treatment in my eyes when you look at the way that, you know, Chatfield was the first guy out on Monday and that first day mm-hmm. in this audition, you know, they didn't give it right to, to Rafferty. I mean, that's probably all calculated, but it was Chatfield. Then Rafferty got his chance with the main group. Then it was Brisebois. Sautner, even though it was a morning skate, it wasn't really a full workout, but it was Sautner's turn with the main group on Thursday. And, you know, I kept a pretty close eye on Rafferty, and he was okay, but I don't know that he was any better than that. And I, I don't know. I mean, I was looking for a little bit of flash uh, from him. And, I, you know, again, I, I don't like to go too deep in a, a summer scrimmage, but no. it, it was a fairly under... I thought it was a fairly underwhelming night for, for as you said, most of the Black Aces. Like, there's a very clear delineation of the NHL guys and the guys that are considered the fill-in on the fringes of this roster. Well, and what fans do need to, like, sort of grasp is the difference between, you know, even Justin Bailey and Cole Lind, right? The difference between Guillaume Brisebois and Brogan Rafferty. Like, there's reasons to be more excited about Lind and Rafferty, obviously. They are prospects versus sort of depth and depth pros, as it were. Yep. But, like, you can even see the gap between the depth pros and and the guys who are still learning the professional game, right? Like, there's a reason that it sometimes takes guys to arrive in this league. It's because it's a cruel league, and it's extraordinarily difficult, and the guys are mind-bendingly good. Like, they're so good. And, you know, I thought Justin Bailey had a really good game, and I thought Guillaume Brisebois looked polished, right? Like, I'd be shocked if Guillaume Brisebois is not the front runner a week in to be the Canucks' eighth defenseman or the guy who becomes the seventh defenseman when Jordy Ben leaves the team to attend the birth of his child, right? So, you know, there are ample, there are 
ramifications to this performance. And, you know, I'm okay to go a little deep on it just because no one else is able to see it, right? I mean, it's it's us. Yeah. And we're we're basically it. And also because I do think there are unique opportunities for young guys to make an impression here, right? Like, this is an impression that's going to stay with the organization, certainly as they prepare for whatever training camp looks like in 2020, 2021. And, you know, I think, you know, a guy like Brisebois, for example, I I wonder, you know, if he can hack it in this environment. And I think this is a really tough environment. Um, You know, if he can hack it in this environment, like, does that factor into decisions the Canucks make or sort of where he slots in uh, this offseason? Like, I wouldn't be shocked if it does. Um, And so, you know, Rafferty, for example, looks great with the puck. Uh, I think he looks great on in-zone play. Like, he had a couple really smart pinches. I think he really sees the puck well, or he sees the game well um, from an offensive standpoint from the back end. Uh, You know, I just think his overall edge work and skating, especially when he's defending the rush, um, still needs some work if he's going to be at that level of an everyday NHL player. And because he's got a minimum cap hit next season, like, it would be tremendous for the Canucks uh, if they could get that out of him. So... You know, I'll be really curious to see how he does as camp goes along. I'd expect that they take him into phase four, and I would expect that they, you know, give him every opportunity to work with their coaches and 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 figure out that part of the game. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a bright future and on this club, the way that he sees the sees the game and and processes things offensively uh, is really really impressive. It's just about that other side of it, the you know figuring out how to get to the point where you're not getting burned on the rush by NHL players. And, um, you know, that's going to take a bit of time and a bit of work and and having this opportunity to compete every day against these, you know, savages uh, out there. I think that's a, I think that's going to be all upside for him. Uh, And I just want one other thing out of the scrimmage and then we'll get on to, because Trampkin news and Rathbone, it was a busy week, obviously for the Canucks since we last podcasted, but you know, his name came up a little earlier in that context of, you know, being on the receiving end of a hit from Tyler to Foley, that was about the most noticeable thing, I think, for Ole Levy's night. And look, for this young guy, like, I, I still, for his sake, I hope that someday it happens and he gets his opportunity. But Mandrancer, like, every time I watch him, I just, I keep walking away from the rink thinking, like, I needed to see something, anything that gives me a sense that this guy could be a National Hockey Leaguer and... Uh, even in a summer scrimmage like that, like it, it's, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot there that gives me hope that there is a, another gear or another level for Ole Levy. Nope. Like, there's just not. You're right. And, you know, I'm, I mean, <laughs> you know, I tune out of hockey arguments pretty quickly now when, when someone brings up their hope for Ole Levy. Like, if, if someone in my ads is like, but by then Ole will be on the team, I'm just like, like I don't, you cannot with any confidence pencil him in to an NHL lineup in the foreseeable future, right? Like he's also, you know, Rathbone signing, for example, like that pushes Ole Olevi further down the depth chart in terms of where he projects to be in the NHL going forward. For me, right? Like Rathbone's a guy that I see, and I think, you know, when I saw it, when we watched him live at the Beanpot, for example, before the world turned upside down, JPAT. You know, I came away from the rink thinking that guy's a player like that guy could play. That guy might be able to play next year. Uh, you know, everything that I talk to uh, or talk about scouts with, they sort of think so, too. So, you know, there's another guy coming like this is what happens in the NHL. You have to bang down the doors 
if you're going to play in the league. And it gets harder and harder as you go because there's younger guys coming in. Uh, we're seeing that with Yolevi, you know, at this point. Uh, hopefully for him, he puts some time between him and his injuries. And, you know, that knee uh, sort of gets stronger and his skating gets stronger. And he sort of things begin to click for him. But I just don't see how you can project him with any confidence into an NHL lineup at this point. So that begs the question, you know, when or if he'll ever sort of get to experience the sweet smell of success at the National Hockey League level. If he wants to smell good just on his way to the rink, though, I've got a suggestion for him. And that would be to check out Hawthorne (laughs) Cologne. And this goes for anybody. It goes for you. It goes for our our listeners as well. Uh, Check out Hawthorne. And they make it easy for you. You take this quiz on their website, a two-minute quiz. Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. And I was thinking, like, as the Canucks get ready for return to play here, you know, there'd be game nights. You could have, like, a home game cologne. You could have a road game cologne, even though that uh, they'll all be in the bubble uh, in rainy Edmonton, where the roof had literally caved in this week on them. Uh, whatever the case, uh, check out the quiz on the Hawthorne website. Uh, and, uh, look, everything on the website, if you're purchasing from Hawthorne, it's totally risk-free, free shipping, free returns. So go to hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code ATHLETIC and get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. You, Thomas Drance. <laughs> like, no, you, j Like Marc-Andre Fleury <laughs> doing the splits to go post to post. What a stretch. <laughs> hey, you got to the bottom of the Nikita Trampkin, Chris Pronger video. It was good. It was good for... I had a good laugh. Like, you know... Look, Trampkin, we know that he's not coming now, at least not this year. Uh, Todd Diamond sort of dropping a few bombs uh, on the radio, telling the Canucks they got to clean up their salary cap. And then I saw Patrick Johnson, uh, he used the word mess. Um, so he went even further uh, in print. Now, look, this is an agent. Fire. It's an agent, and he couldn't get a deal done for his client. And so, you know, there may have been an axe to grind. Whatever the case, those are his words, not mine. And this is an NHL agent. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but, but here's, here's what, here's what the people should, like. So I know Todd Diamond pretty well because Todd Diamond represents a certain Florida Panthers captain named Alexander Barkov. Uh, and Todd Diamond, here's the, here's the defining characteristic of Todd. In my view, Todd is pretty impatient. Like Todd is not a guy you'd say who suffers fools, you know? And I think so not, I don't mean impatient like in his personal life. I mean impatient in terms of some of that old school hockey thinking. You know what I mean? Like Todd's an innovative guy with with big ideas. And I think he was genuinely frustrated uh, by how things played out, obviously. But I also think that, you know, like the, the comment that, you know, I've been an agent for 25 years. I don't need someone to tell me they have cap issues. Like it's it's obvious. Like that was a very Todd statement. And uh Look, I'm here for it. Like, I'm here for all of the all of the Vancouver area drama all the time. Um, you know, when it comes to Trampkin, look, they could have they could have found a way to make the cap work if they brought him in at two million. But with where they're at and all of their priorities going into the summer, like clearly Trampkin was a luxury bet. Like, it's a bet that the Canucks would have liked to place if they could have, but it just wasn't a bet that they were able to make. You know, in advance of 
having some clarity with Tanev and Stetcher and Markstrom and Toffoli. And so, you know, things fell apart. But look, I, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that the organization is going to think twice about signing Triamkin because of what Todd said. Um, and I, you know, appreciated Todd giving fans his sort of view of the situation in a transparent way. Like, again, it's one of those things like you can't tell me that's bad for the sport or, or bad for interest in this market. No, but it's interesting just to sort of watch how that whole thing unfolded. And, you know, there was this idea that, oh, it took five months for the Canucks to say no. Look, Trampkin had a decision to make. He wanted the certainty of a contract. Uh, He went for, you know, what he knew in the KHL, and that's fine. Like, you know, we'll revisit this a year from now, but uh, the world changed through these negotiations. The one thing that this management group won't have the benefit of is time whenever we get to free agency in the National Hockey League, right? Like, Chris Tanev isn't just going to sit around idly while the Canucks try to work through deals with Markstrom and then Toffoli, you know, if that, in fact, is their priority list. Like, Tanev's not going to wait to see if, is there enough money for me if he's got offers from other teams? Like, so, you know, this one just kind of sat there on the shelf, we knew that Jim had stated, like, until he knew the actual cap numbers that his hands were tied, you know, he wasn't going to uh, get deals done. I agree with you. Like, if they had truly, truly prioritized Trampkin, then they would have found a way. So yeah. it didn't happen, but it's just the dynamics of the next round of contract negotiations with their own free agents. You know, there's this time crunch element just because there will be outside pressures that didn't really exist with this Trampkin deal in isolation. A hundred percent. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of really complicated negotiations here, you know, with the Hughes and Pedersen ones, especially sort of standing out. And, you know, Tramkin in particular was complicated because, you know, his possible contributions would have come at a cap hit. That's not ideal for what you'd like to pay to bet on a third pairing guy, right? Especially considering Vancouver's other priorities in cap space. So no, I, I think you're right. Uh, last time we talked and uh, recorded a podcast, the uh, Rathbone was front and center. Oh, before we get to that though, I just, the Pronger video, just walk me through that. Cause I look, this thing sort of, it existed in Canucks lore. Uh, I hadn't thought about it for a little while, but uh, we all know the stories of the Canucks putting the iPad in Trampkin stall and wanting to watch the Pronger video. Yeah. Good on you. You, you got to the bottom of it because, you know, in my head, this notion of this video that had been hand crafted for Nikita Tramkin and, you know, like had been precisely all the edits done, you know, with plays that the Canucks wanted to watch. Like that wasn't it at all. Uh, as you unearth, this thing exists out there in the public sphere. It's on YouTube. And quite frankly, when yeah. I when I watched the video, there weren't that many pronger plays. It was just a lot of guys talking about what an asshole pronger was and what a prick he was to play against. Yeah, and uh, I think that was the point, was just to show like how... You know, you do it once and it resonates around the league, right? Like to show how if you're an intimidating uh, presence generally, it gives you space, time, you know, you become a deterrent force essentially, right? And and look, I I, I don't think it's unusual to show a guy uh, a video like that. Um, I think it's taken on a a life of its own and become a much bigger deal than it was. Oh, it has. It has, no doubt. And, And even looking back, like I read... I read Botch's column from the departure and Botch obviously didn't report it originally. Botch just referred to it and said, you know, the 
it was an example of the Canucks trying to make Triamkin into something he wasn't, as opposed to just leaning on the puck-moving ability and the size and the potential. And I think, was it Dave Tomlinson who originally reported it, J-Pat? I can't, honestly, I, I don't recall. I did a little bit of digging, and I think it was Dave Tomlinson, but one of our listeners, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I think it's a detail that became lore and has taken on a life of its own and become a much bigger deal. But the idea that, like, this is symptomatic of why it didn't work for Triamkin in Vancouver, like, I think Triamkin just wasn't at a stage of his career. I thought Travis's Green, Travis Green comment, oh my goodness, Travis Green's comments were really instructive, right? That, you know, guys go through things and they learn and they mature and they evolve. And he seems like he's done that. Like, that to me suggests that Triamkin's analyzed his own game. Uh, analyzed how he behaved his first time around and, and is committed to doing it differently if he gets another shot at the NHL. And he's motivated to get another shot at the NHL. So I, I do think we'll see this happen at some point. Um, obviously, we we haven't seen it yet. We're not going to see it next season. Uh, but, you know, this saga is not over. This is just the latest episode, the latest false start in the Triampkin Canucks story. And, and I was happy yesterday. Uh, I'm not always happy, but I was happy yesterday because mm-hmm. we got to the bottom of, I think it was PJ, that asked Travis about the conversation, actually the the phone call uh, that you had reported that took place between Travis and, and Trampkin at some point during uh, this coronavirus hiatus. And we had joked on a recent podcast, like, you know, what would that sound like? Because the last time Trampkin was here in Vancouver, you know, from a media perspective, like we badgered the Canucks until they brought a translator in and he looked uncomfortable standing there. Uh, but that was the only way we could, could communicate with them. So I was kind of curious if there was a third party involved here uh, on this phone call. But Travis seemed to think that uh, his English had improved. He, had, as he said, grown up. And, you know, Travis said, I enjoyed my conversation with him. So uh, we'll see where it goes. But I'm glad to know, you know, if you're going to come back to North America and you want to fit into a, a locker room setting and, and, you know, be one of the guys uh, speaking English, and understanding English certainly would go a long way there. And, you know, we'll see if Pod Colson's part of the mix by the time, you know, if Tramp can ever, and it is still, it's very much an if, but, you know, there's a chance that they could have a couple of Russians, I suppose, in that locker room. But I'm just, I was glad to hear that, you know, it, it does sound like this guy has sort of matured a little bit. And I guess we all do that as uh, time marches on. So uh, I want to touch on Rathbone, not so much the player, because, look, we've talked it to death all week. You've written about it, but... This idea of now that he signed, and look, we don't know. I mean, part of his signing was that Harvard had announced, you know, no fall sports, a uh, pretty good chance that winter sports weren't going to take place. So he wasn't going to have the option of going back and playing college hockey. We don't know about the American Hockey League. What about his options? Like, if he comes to camp but isn't good enough to make the National Hockey League, like, it's not just Jack Rathbone. Will there not be like a lot of guys banging on the doors of European leagues looking for spots as perhaps a, a fallback option? I'm I'm fascinated to see what this looks like, J-Pat. I would not be stunned by anything at this point. Like the AHL is so gate-driven that if you can't have fans in the building, and I don't see how you can, I don't know how it makes sense for the AHL to operate, to be totally honest with you. And and I think there's going to be a lot of pain as, as that gets figured out so you know, are teams looking at having like taxi squads that are kept in their local local market uh, that play against one another? Um, 
you know, I, I don't envy any director of hockey ops at the moment or like any guy who's going to have to figure out and then track the progress of uh, their players in the event that the AHL doesn't operate next season because, boy, is it going to be complicated. Like, it's going to be so complicated to find spaces for all your guys, loan them out, um, you know, make sure they're in optimal situations. Like, it's going to be a logistical nightmare to figure that out if the AHL doesn't operate. Uh, do teams you know, maybe conjoin, like, do, do you set up a league with the, but a bunch of teams in, you know, relative geographic proximity and have those prospects play one another? Like if the AHL doesn't operate, these are the conversations that teams are going to have. So handicapping where Rathbone's options are, if he doesn't make the show next year, um, you know, boy, I like, I just, I, I just don't know. Like, could he be part of a five man taxi squad that stays locally just in case? Uh, you know, Rathbone and Louie, uh, <laughs> could he, could he, um, you know, could he end up in like Banff playing Edmonton Oilers and, and Calgary Flames prospects? Like I'm not reporting anything that I'm talking about beyond very general sort of things with a variety of, uh, of NHL executives, but like, there's no clarity yet about what that looks like. And, and I don't think there will be until we get to the other side of, of return to play. So uh, but look, this is going to be a massively, massively complicated undertaking. Like, you know, I was talking to a guy, I was talking to a scout, for example, last week, and he noted that because he's an American citizen, for example, right, uh, during the 2021 or 2020-2021, like, draft class evaluation scouting season, like, if he's asked to go see a European player, he might not be able to do that live, right? Like, if you're an American citizen, you can't go to Sweden. You can't go to Europe. Like, you can't. Right. Yep. You're not going to be able to f connect through Frankfurt and and go see, you know, the, the best player in Olu. Like, you're kind of hosed. And so the ramifications of this in terms of figuring things out for hockey teams, like, it's going to be so complicated. And it's going to give a massive edge to those organizations that are proactive, organized, uh, have implemented the most you know technological uh, apparatuses to track prospects by video, uh, who are the most comfortable operating off Zoom. Like this is going to be uh, a test of adaptability, unlike anything we've ever seen. And I see no way that the 2021 season plays out uh, without that sort of shaping uh, a competitive edge for the teams that are best prepared to work through those issues. Well, you were late for the podcast. Not that it matters to the listeners because uh, it will be delivered. <laughs> it's not live. You you show up on <laughs> yeah. time in their podcast player, and that's all <laughs> ultimately that matters. But uh, you were late for the podcast. Shame on you, but you made up for it. And uh, look, the weekend here, we'll see uh, Michael Furlan. We'll see if uh, Brandon Sutter reappears. We'll see what the weekend brings and uh, get back at it uh, next week with a couple more podcasts. Uh, we're going to have to get Mike Russo on here pretty soon because when we get through this oh, yeah. we get through this weekend like if all goes well they're two weeks away from playing hockey that yeah. matters like it, I know. It, like after this long long layoff like it's coming quickly now it's coming quickly now and you know you're, the intensity is going to get pretty high i think at this training camp like i already think it's been there but it's really about to get there and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun like so long as this gets done safely, and, and certainly you've got to be pretty impressed with the first four days of Canucks camp, not just the precautions they're taking with us, but the fact that we don't appear to have had a guy, you know, sort of disappear on us or, or what have you. I mean, that's a really good sign for the club, and, and hopefully this is being matched by the 
you know, adherence to safety protocols in the other phase three training facilities around the league. Uh, hopefully we're able to get there safely and, and get this off the ground. I think this was a, you know, if you'd asked me before the week, J-Pat, I would have told you, I think this is going to be a dicey week for the league in terms of teams, you know, having a lot of guys like in isolation or in quarantine or under monitoring and high levels of tests, like especially considering some of the community transmission rates in some of these NHL markets. That has not come to pass. Uh, I think this has been a tremendously positive week for the NHL as they uh, look to move toward return to play and, and departure for the Phase 4 secure zones in the East and the West. Well, just before we wrap things up, uh, podcasts aren't necessarily the best place to break news, but uh, award nominees have been coming out all week. When Hughes, obviously a finalist for the Calder, we knew that was going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I think there were some people in the market that were hoping that Jacob Markstrom's season would garner some Vesna consideration. Remember, this is NHL GMs that vote on the Vesna. Uh, he's not one of the finalists. Connor Hellebuck, uh, the prohibitive favorite, Tuka Rask, and Andre Vasilevsky, uh, the three finalists. So, uh, no, you no, know, Vas- Vas- Vasilevsky is the wrong pick. Like, the GMs got that wrong. They did. They did. That's fine. Markstrom, Markstrom has <laughs> Markstrom has an argument. Markstrom has an argument, but it should be Markstrom or Ben Bishop. Like Vas- that team scores so much. Vasilevsky's season was really rough until about January. Um, you know they they got th- that that's a Vasilevsky shouldn't be a finalist over either Bishop or Markstrom. Well, well, that's my view. Fair enough. And and you know I, I, again these are GMs uh, that are doing the voting here, and I think they. Probably a lot of them surface level stuff. You know, they've got other things on their plate, but they yeah. see that he led the league in wins. Oh, there's the league leader in wins. You know, it, it makes it a convenient choice. But yeah, I'm with you. It's probably not uh, the they right nailed, one. There. They nailed the top two, though. They nailed the top two. But Vasilevsky's yeah. shouldn't be a finalist over Bishop or or Markstrom. Um, you know, and and GMs do tend to ask their goalie coaches and on and on. So yep. it's a pretty informed voter block, all told. Uh, I just think they, I just think they whiffed on the third nominee, and and fair enough. Like the, the there is a pretty big gap between Hellebuck, Rask, and then you know a group of goalies that merit consideration, which includes Markstrom. So um, you know, not too bad, but Vasilevsky over Markstrom is uh, you know not backed up by by what I look at and and trust anyway, uh, including Kevin Woodley's opinion. What a week for Markstrom. 0-3 in scrimmages. Doesn't get the finalist for the Masterton. And now a snub for the Vesna. He's going to be fired up. He's going to be motivated. Um... These things happen. <laughs> I think he's got. Gonna be I think he's got better perspective <laughs> on life given all that uh, has gone on around him uh, in the 100%. last twelve months. Just want to take a quick moment here before we run to address business owners, business managers, those that control the purse strings, marketing budgets. Look, hockey's ramping up. You can feel it in town. People are fired up. Uh, we've got the numbers to back it up here at the VanCast as well. If you're looking for a creative new way to market your product, you want to get the word out that you guys are open for business again, uh, have come through COVID, and you're ready to embrace the world, and you want people to come through your front doors, uh, let's work with you. Let us help deliver that message to our highly engaged audience. Uh, most of our listeners are here in Vancouver, so what better way to promote your business than through our show? As I mentioned, our fans and our listeners, fans sounds a little uh, presumptuous, our listeners, <laughs> yeah. Our listeners, the people who taller are taller VIPs. Yeah, I mean they're they're loyal, they're engaged, and what better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast? So let's do some business. Reach out uh, to advertise on the VanCast. 
Go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you fill out a very simple form. We'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads and do it today. Let's find a way to partner here with hockey uh, on its way back. Lindy Ruff, hired by the New Jersey Devils. He joined Scott Burnside and guest co-host Eric DeHatchik on the Two-Man Advantage pod. You can find that at The Athletic as well. And let's see what next week brings. Drancer, we'll be back two new episodes next week as we close in on the return to play for the Vancouver Canucks, that exhibition game against Winnipeg, and then the games that count. The play-in series against the Minnesota Wild. So we'll be all over it as we count things down to the start of hockey here on the VanCaster Drancer. It's J-Pat. Thanks so much for listening. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll catch you next week here on the VanCast at theathletic and theathletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.